Parenting, it's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hello and welcome back to Raised Resilient. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so excited, y'all, because today's episode is the very first guest episode I've done on Raised Resilient. In today's episode, I'm interviewing my friend Becca Group, who is a fellow parenting content creator and a mama of three. So when we recorded this episode months ago, she was still pregnant with her third, and he has since arrived and is a few months old now. So if that tells you how long I've been sitting on these episodes, there you go. I'm super excited about this episode because it's the first episode I've done on how to feed our kids from a gentle, respectful, conscious place. I know a lot of you have questions about what to do if you have a picky eater and how to handle situations where your child is refusing to eat and what if they don't get enough food and how do you make sure that your child eats their veggies and how can we do this in a way that teaches our kids to tune into their bodies. So Becca and I are discussing how to feed our kids from an intuitive eating perspective, an intuitive eating approach. And Becca is the perfect person to have this conversation with because she combines gentle, respectful, peaceful parenting with healing food trauma. And not only does she create content about this to help parents, but she also has survived and healed from an eating disorder herself through intuitive eating. So I think you are really going to enjoy this episode. And without further ado, here we go. Becca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on here to get to talk to you in person. This is awesome. I know. I feel like I've known you for so long. <laughs> so long. We've yes. never met in person. I'm like, this is my friend Hillary, but we've never talked in person. Yeah. So let me just have you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey into peaceful parenting, and we can go from there. All right. Sounds good. Well, my name is Becca Group. I'm a mom of two kids, soon to be three. I have another one coming in November. And I am married to my middle school sweetheart of 11 years now we've been married. I was a second grade teacher for about four years. And once I had my daughter, I decided to stay home and raise her myself. And I am a fellow peaceful parenting content creator now. I also love baking and reading books and running. But yeah, talking about parenting is really my passion project. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. So How did you find your way to peaceful, gentle, respectful parenting? Because I know we all have our own journeys as we find our way to this type of parenting. So what was that journey like for you? Yeah, it really actually started after I already had my daughter. And it it really came to the question of, you know, are we going to spank her one day or not, right? It's the to spank or not to spank question. And I think that's a lot of us who found gentle parenting. I think it started somewhere around that question because I know for me, I had never questioned spanking whatsoever. And I almost took pride in the fact that I was a kid who had 
happened, thanks, until I was in college. And I had a social studies professor my junior year. He sort of took a poll of the class and he asked everybody, you know, who here was spanked and who wasn't. And we had the most fascinating and kind of emotional discussion in class. You know, how was it that all of us were able to learn the life lessons our parents wanted us to learn, but some of us had to be hit in order to learn them and others did not. And that really stuck with me years later. So, you know, once I had my daughter, I kind of came around to realize it's not just that, you know, spanking's not a good fit for my family, right? I really came around to believing, I don't think spanking is a good fit for anybody's family, but I didn't understand why I felt so strongly about that. You know, why do I still even sometimes as an adult get really upset thinking about the past? as a child when I was spanked for things. And so that kind of began my deep dive into the internet, which sort of led me to gentle parenting. And there were some newer bloggers talking about it. There were gentle parenting creators on Instagram. And I started sharing and talking about this stuff like kind of ad nauseum, my poor husband. (laughs) I just became so passionate about it very quickly. And I started to also see though that there were holes in it for me. I didn't see a lot of people talking about, you know, baby led weaning was really getting big and peaceful parenting, gentle parenting was growing at the same time, but I didn't see anyone kind of going and combining the two. And that crossover to me was really important because I think parenting and the way we eat actually have a lot of connection points because we're, you know, nurturing our littles in emotional ways and also physical ways. So I wanted to create my own platform to explore peaceful parenting with this focus on healing food trauma as well. Oh my gosh, I love that. And what a beautiful journey too, to come from being spanked, but not just being spanked, but feeling like some pride in that. And then to come to a place where you're like, wait a minute, this was not okay. And I don't want to do this. Yeah. My dad broke the spanking cycle for our family because he was hit with a belt, you know, as a lot of people in his generation were. And my grandpa was a good guy. Like I really genuinely believe he did it because that's what he thought was the right thing to do. Right. My dad said, I will never hit my kids. And he didn't. Now he had tons of emotional dysregulation along the way because he had trauma as a child that he didn't even know the word trauma to describe. But I've just always been really mind blown and just in awe of the people who are able to break that cycle because I think it's a hard one. It's very hard. And it's it's funny because even as someone who, you know, I I love this stuff. I study this stuff. I really practice it. And even so, there is this urge when my kids act up, this urge not just to hit, but this rage, right? Like I need to control. I need to, you know, make sure they know who's in charge here. And I can tell like, oh, that's old hardwiring. And I don't have to do things that way, which is really empowering. It's hard, but it's it's empowering. Yes. Those narratives that come up and it's not just the narratives, but the feelings in our body where we do have that rage. And I don't think enough people talk about that piece of it, right? We talk about what we should do. And I think that's something you and I really try to bring to the peaceful parenting content creation space. It's like, okay, yes, this is what you should do, but this is why it's freaking hard to do that. And what do we do when we can't? Yeah. Just reminding people like that human urge in you, it's okay. Like it makes sense that it's, especially if you are from generation after generation of people who popped or smacked or spanked their kids, it is hard to break that cycle. It makes sense that you feel that way. Absolutely. Yes. Your body remembers that. Your body remembers that feeling of being hit, that lack of control, that trauma. If you were physically hurt by it, then that's a whole other level. Like it's just, it's a lot. Yes. I love that you're combining this too with healing food trauma and intuitive eating. So tell us a little bit about how you found your way to intuitive eating. Cause I know you had your own journey with food trauma. 
So I grew up in a home where I had parents who had both struggled with eating disorders on different levels. My mom had experienced some bulimia up until the time she was pregnant with me, which is where that kind of stopped. But she definitely struggled with a lot of body image issues and insecurities. My dad kind of did diets on and off his whole life. And to this day, it's something that he really still struggles with. I think food is a way for him to control feelings and to control whatever else is going on in his life that feels out of control. And it kind of gets fixated into food. So those were kind of my two big role models growing up. And I definitely struggled with body image issues because of that. I did some restricting, some meal skipping in high school, but who didn't, right? It was very normal. And it wasn't really until college where I developed a full-blown eating disorder. I was bulimic, so I would binge foods and then I would throw them up. I was just so sad. I'd make very twisted jokes to myself, you know, which buildings on campus have I not thrown open yet? And it was this really vicious cycle of almost taking pride in the fact that I had so much control over what went into my body and what I took back out of it. Years later, around the time we were trying to get pregnant for the first time with my daughter, I knew that puking was obviously not very healthy for me and definitely not going to be healthy for a baby. So I had kind of stopped that. I was able to kind of suppress that urge. But that binging, restricting cycle of how I had approached food for so long was still so ingrained in me. And I went on a keto diet not long after my daughter was born, which really tanked breast milk supply. <laughs> and my poor, my poor daughter barely ate any carbs the first year of her life because we were doing baby led weaning. So she was eating what we were eating, which was very low carb. And then I had my son just a couple weeks before the pandemic. And I had every intention of once again, despite knowing that, oh yeah, you lost your milk supply. And you know, that wasn't so great. And I still had every intention though to diet again after he was born. But something during the pandemic, I think for a lot of people brought up a lot of unexplored issues. And so I could feel these old habits to start purging again, come back, you know, maybe instead of dieting, you could just go back to throwing up. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't work backwards like that. So I actually ended up joining an online support group for women who are recovering from either a full-blown eating disorder like myself or just disordered eating habits in general. And that's where I first learned about intuitive eating. And it was mind-blowing to hear that you know, your weight is not the biggest indicator of your health. You know, you don't even have to know your weight in order to be a healthy person. And I was learning about how to eat in a way that satisfies you, how to honor your cravings and nourish your body at the same time. All of these food concepts that really should have been intuitive, but just aren't because of diet culture and weight loss marketing. And so it was a wild few months. I was in the group for about six months and I, I really struggled. Some of the homework assignments were things like reintroducing previous binge foods again. And I had so much fear around, oh, what if I just eat them all and I gain weight? But I went really slow. We took our time. Another big hurdle was struggling to stop portioning my food, right? Instead of Getting, getting out the measuring cups, I started just gauging portions based on my body's cues and 
those two things in particular were really hard to kind of start doing again in my life. And it took a lot of intentional focus to start to work through. But that was kind of my introduction to intuitive eating was in 2020. And it it changed my life. It really did. I cannot imagine how that wouldn't just be such a game changer to go from a place where you felt like you had to be in control of every little decision around food to a complete mindset shift to say, I get to nourish my body. Like that's the point of food and to really start to internalize that. I can only imagine like the power in that after struggling with bulimia. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, of course. I'm happy to share about this. You're so right that diet culture, I mean, it's still pervasive. Oh, it's everywhere. Yes. And I think being a woman in our society, those messages, you start to get them really young. Growing up in our society, you kind of have to be counterculture to really start to embrace intuitive eating. Very much so. Oh, I completely agree. So how do you implement intuitive eating with your kids? What are some things you do at home? It's hard to point it down because there's a whole bunch of little things. But if I had to boil it down to just like a few core, like this is how we do intuitive eating. The biggest thing is that I choose what food is served in the house, right? I do the grocery shopping. I do the cooking for the most part. And so I'm getting to pick not just healthy foods, but a variety of foods. So my kids are seeing candy and they're going to see fruit and vegetables and they're going to see different kinds of protein. So they're getting all kinds of exposure to foods. But at the end of the day, I get to choose what food is served, right? I'm not asking them every day for every snack or meal, what do you feel like eating? What do you feel like eating? Because of course, as a kid, you're going to want to go to those really carby, sugary, yummy things, right? Those are just delicious. I totally understand that. And their brains are wired that way. Exactly. We still have brains that are wired for scarcity, but we have abundance. Exactly. Exactly. So knowing like, no, I choose what is served, but they are allowed to eat however much or however little they want to eat of the food that I am serving. So they are in control of what is going into their bodies, which I think is a really big piece of intuitive eating. Not all this, you should eat this or you should have five bites of broccoli before you get down from the table, right? It's here's some broccoli and that's it, right? And everybody just eats their meal and it's great. Yes. Take the power out of it the good and bad foods out of it. Exactly. That power struggle does not need to be there. And that's a big, big piece of it. And we also follow a pretty consistent food routine. So my my kids probably eat more than other kids do. We have three meals a day and we have two snacks, sometimes even a third snack after dinner if they did not eat very much dinner. And very rarely do we deviate from that. It keeps them fueled all day so that they're not getting hangry. Because once you get hangry, not only are we having tantrum after tantrum, but that blood sugar level is crashing and spiking and it's a mess. So we try to avoid that as much as possible by just staying nice and fueled all day long. I love that. And I think that's a really great modeling, right? Because we want our kids to know that you don't need to be starving before your next meal. Like wait until you're hungry and eat, but not getting these blood sugar crashes that I think a lot of kids, they go and they go and they go and then they're hangry. Yes, exactly. And now we're dealing with extra stuff on top of the hanger. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. So what would you say to a parent who is saying, okay, I like the sound of this, but we have been doing things not this way, right? We've been saying, okay, eat your vegetables to get dessert. What would you say to a parent who's like, I kind of want to shift into this approach? How do I do that? Yeah. So 
I think one of the big things that you can even start with, and it's really simple, it's just even the way that your family is talking about food. You know, notice, are are you labeling things, right? When you're shopping with your kids or you're cooking a meal, are you talking about how carbs or sugar is bad for you? Or are you talking about how carbs and sugar give you energy? You know, carbs are the brain's preferred fuel source. They're not something to be knocked out. And sugar even is not a bad idea for when you need a quick burst of energy, right? So all these foods have different purposes in our lives. And I think it's important to take away the labeling of food. You know, nothing is good or bad. They just have different purposes and different nutritional value for your body. So coming at food from that approach is one of the best ways, I think, to start is just changing the way that we talk about food itself. Absolutely. Gosh, that's such a great point because I feel like we can talk about food as with, with, you know, neutral terms and kind of empowering our kids to know what food does for us. Or we can talk about it with a moral value system, which I feel like is what we grew up with. Exactly. So for a parent who has been talking about food as good or bad, would you say to sit your kids down and say, let's talk about this. We're going to make a shift. Absolutely. I think it is a conversation, especially if you've got older kids, right? And you're thinking, oh, this is too late to start to try this intuitive eating thing. And it's not. I think it, it, like you're saying, a conversation goes a long way. You can sit everybody down and say, we as a family are learning how to listen to our bodies more when we eat. And so there are going to be some changes that we start to make as a family to make that happen. And those changes might be setting up a food schedule instead of just random eating throughout the day or parents picking the meals instead of asking their kids all the time, what do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? Getting rid of screens at mealtime so that kids can learn how to be really intentional with their food and for everyone to spend more time as a family when they eat. Oh yeah, that's a good one because I feel like we cannot be intuitive and really tune into what our bodies need when we're distracted, especially with screens. All of these little things are going to be changes that you know, your family might need to make to help make that shift into intuitive eating. But just telling your kids, yeah, we're going to start to do things a little differently and we're going to get your feedback and we'll talk about this as a family as we make this transition into intuitive eating. Oh, I love that. That's what I would always say to parents. If we're going to make a shift, include the kids in this process. Don't just make this shift and have them be wondering what in the world is happening here, but really have that conversation. Oh, absolutely. So in our house, we definitely lean into the idea that we choose the menu, we choose what foods come into the house. And I usually feel pretty good about that because I'm going to choose something with a little less sugar. I'm going to choose the thing that tastes good, but maybe has better ingredients, you know, because I'm thinking about this from a wellness perspective too. And I want my kids to feel good. And there are some things like food dyes, for example, that I try to avoid, but then Even if we are doing these things, we're sending our kids out into the world to say a birthday party and there's like endless sugar or Halloween when they come home with a whole bag of candy. Something that comes up a lot for the parents that I talk to and also for me sometimes is, okay, I'm sending you out into the world or I'm letting you have this bag of Halloween candy. Are you going to self-regulate? Or are you just going to eat the entire bag of candy and feel massively sick, right? Yeah. So letting them make some choices, even if sometimes those choices are learning lessons, right? And maybe some mistakes along the way. Oh, I ate way too much candy or I had even eating, you know, too much broccoli. Now my tummy hurts, you know, they're going to figure those things out for themselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think about even with my own kids, they buy school lunch because even though I thought I was going to be the mom with all the cute little bento box lunches, when lunch was free after the pandemic, I was like, oh, well, maybe I just get that. 30 minutes of my day back, you know? And so they do, they go and they buy school lunch. But what I notice is they do choose 
a well-rounded meal. They come home and they tell me that they're choosing the veggies, they're choosing the protein, and yeah, they're also grabbing an ice cream or a cookie, but I'm totally okay with that because when they're left to their own devices, ultimately they're choosing something balanced. And I feel good about that. I feel like, isn't that kind of the goal, right? Yeah. I think actually the fact that you let them have that freedom at school is a great opportunity to practice what they're learning at home with you. That's wonderful. So, you know, I get a lot of questions that I'm sure you do too about picky eating, right? And this fear, I think again, from our generation, we were told, okay, you got to eat the quote unquote healthy food and then you got to eat your unhealthy food, your dessert, but you have to earn the healthy food. So for parents who are worried or maybe someone's partner is not quite on board, right? That they're into this, but their partner's like, no, like if we just give them dessert with dinner, we're going to ruin their chances of ever trying broccoli. You know, what would you say to that parent who is feeling skeptical and worried about picky eating? A lot of picky eating, I think, can stem from, some kids are just picky eaters, right? And it doesn't even always make sense. You know, you could have one kid who eats everything and you can have one kid who is super selective, which is what we have at our house. And I find that picky eating tends to get worse when we try to, you know, as however well-intentioned that pressure is, we pressure our kids to eat food and they will build up this resistance to trying new foods. So the more control we try to take, the more resistance we build in our picky eaters. So I think intuitive eating is really helpful actually for picky eating because when we take the control off the table, right? And we say, this is what we're having. And you can take however many bites you feel comfortable with of this meal. That really frees up our picky eaters to make those decisions for themselves when they're ready. And a lot of kids, not all kids, right? Some kids are going to need extra support, but most kids grow out of picky eating over time or they start to find some foods as they get older that I didn't like, you know, maybe I don't like meatballs, but I will eat a hamburger, right? So little baby steps along the way do come, but it is a long process. And I think less control actually is more empowering for our picky eaters. And I also think food exposure is a huge help for picky eaters. So part of the way that we do intuitive eating, it isn't always just about eating. It's intuitive using all of your senses, right? So starting small, even with like, look at the food. Can you just even stand to have it on your plate in front of you without throwing a tantrum, right? Can you squeeze it? Can you sniff it? Can you touch it to your teeth? Can you taste it with a little lick? You know, you don't have to bite it, but can you lick it? You know, can it be a character? What does it look like? What does it remind you of outside? Like, there's so much more to food than just getting it into your body, especially with children. When you can bring that element of play into picky eating, I think it helps a lot with getting our kids to take these baby steps that will get them to eventually taking that first bite one day. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's such an important point that I think a lot of people don't realize, right? That this whole idea of just being exposed to the food, like my middle child, he, I would say is our pickiest, right? Like my youngest still just, she eats more than her brothers and she eats anything. And then my oldest is like very adventurous, but my middle child is more picky. And he also has more sensory seeking stuff like that makes sense to me. And so the other day we tried, it was like a pork belly bun. So like a Vietnamese food and with cilantro and tons of different veggies. So he took a bite and then he spit it out. And we were like, good job. Like you, you tried that. Like, wow, that was brave of you. You weren't sure what this was. And I think when I first became a parent, I would have had more of a, like, why are you spitting it out? You know, what's happening? And I would have seen that as a failure as opposed to, oh my gosh, like you tried this thing and you just went for it. You just took a bite. You didn't like it, but that's okay. Exactly. But that's okay. But you tried it. Yeah. That's a huge step forward for him. I'm sure. Yeah. 
Yes. And also to talk about food. I don't know if you do this in your house, but we try to talk about food as like right now, right? Like you didn't like that today versus like you don't like that forever. Exactly. Oh, all the time. We talk about that. Not yet. Not yet. And that doesn't mean that you change your mind in a year or five years. You might not, you might never change your mind and that's okay. But for right now, that's just not your thing yet. And that's okay. Yes. We talk about how taste buds change, right? And my kids will tell me that. They'll say, well, taste buds change, mommy. So I like this now. <laughs> like, Okay, cool. I love that. So, you know, modeling, I think, and we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, but I think sometimes we don't realize, you know, I look back, my mom never said word one to me about what I should or shouldn't eat, but I remember that she never ate French fries. She doesn't like them. She doesn't like potatoes, but I would always feel, and she never said anything that would make me feel guilty, but I always had this guilt as a high schooler. You know, we would go out for fast food and I wanted the fries, like give me the fries. I love French fries. And she would never get fries. And I would always feel like, oh, like, should I not be getting fries? You know? And I'm sure that was just part of the bigger umbrella of how food was talked about, not just in my home, but it, you know, in society at that time. But what are some things that we need to be careful about in terms of our own behaviors with food so that we are modeling healthy habits for our kids? Yeah. I think the way that bodies are talked about is a huge piece of this because it's not just about the food. The reason I think for so many of us that food is so triggering or upsetting or weird is because of this insecurity we have about bodies. So how are bodies discussed in the house? You know, how does mom talk about herself when she walks past a mirror? You know, what does dad say about his body and the food he's eating? You know, what we say matters a lot. And I don't even think it has to be, you know, when we think about modeling, you're thinking, oh, I love my body and I'm so beautiful. And although that's great, that's like a really lofty goal, especially for those of us that have food issues and body dysmorphia. In my house, we aim for body neutrality. So I tell my kids that I eat and I exercise so that I feel good, you know, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. And I'll say things like, I don't feel my best in this shirt. Instead of, ugh, this makes me look so fat or ugly. And even in the way that we talk about them, go back to the food, like, you know, I'm going to put some broccoli on my plate because it's going to help me poop later instead of, well, broccoli is a lot healthier for you than rice, you know? So really shifting that way that we talk about food too, like you were saying too early, like this place of neutrality, I think is a really helpful way to model this intuitive eating and body positivity neutrality for our kids. Oh, I love that. Yes. I think that's so true. How we talk about our bodies, how we talk about what we're eating, helping our kids see that healthy relationship, even though I think for a lot of us, just like with gentle, peaceful, respectful parenting in general, we are all kind of, I hate to say fake it till you make it, but there's so many times like you talked about in the beginning where our internal monologue is, oh my goodness, what is happening? And then on the outside, we might take a deep breath and say, I don't feel my best in this shirt, right? Where we wanted to say, I hate my body. I'm not feeling okay. It's a lot of work, right? This is why this is so hard because we are sort of reparenting ourselves. And we talk about this, both of us all the time on our platforms, but you know, this idea that we are kind of learning right alongside our kids. Exactly. So to wrap up, what is one thing, if you could boil it down and you gave us so many great tips today, but if you could just say, if there's one thing parents can literally do today to start to shift how things go with food in their house toward a more intuitive eating approach, what would you say? I think the biggest thing is serve a variety of foods and let mealtime be relaxing again, because I think there is so much pressure to get kids to eat a certain way all the time. And food does not need to be this stressful. It really doesn't. At the end of the day, fed is always best. It just is. And that could be McDonald's or that can be a home-cooked steak and salad, right? And you can work up to 
serving all kinds of new fruits and veggies and proteins and textures that your kids might hate right now. But just take it slow. Focus on getting different kinds of food, including treats on that plate from time to time and really dig into the family time that's happening when people gather around a meal because that is a huge part of growing up with a healthy mindset about food is just how did mealtime feel? Was it stressful or was it a time to bond and connect? And I think that's way more important. Oh, I so agree with that. You know, I grew up with a family that sat down together every night and like to the point where if one of us had a late practice or something, my mom would portion off like a little Tupperware for us and, you know, she would come and sit with us while we ate. And I know for me, that was just such a good memory from growing up. And so we try to do that with our kids too. We try to make it like we don't do screens. We all sit down together. We don't even bring our phones, my husband and I, to the table. And we just, we talk. What was your favorite part of the day? What was the hardest part of the day? And I find that the kids really love that. They love to participate in that. And you're right. It takes the focus off the food. It's like, oh, and we're eating. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The food is the catalyst for all the other good stuff that's happening around the table. Instead of it being the primary focus all the time, it really does help us to eat more intuitively. (laughs) And like this stressful thing, right? Where we have to eat a certain amount of this if we want to get dessert. And I feel like too, you know, we know now that when our nervous system is in a heightened state while we're eating, we don't digest as well. Exactly. So it's important on a physiological level for us to have mealtimes be relaxing. So you could feed your kids the best stuff in the world, but if everyone is stressed, even if they eat it, they won't get the same amount out of it. Exactly. Oh, so well put. So Becca, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. Where can people find you? So you can find me on Instagram or on TikTok at Becca Group, B-E-K-A-H-G-R-O-O-P. I've got lots of videos and tips for parents trying to navigate peaceful parenting. And you also have a blog. I know you're not actively keeping that up, but you've got a lot of great stuff there, right? I do. I have lots of posts on uh, pots and pans and peacefulparenting.com. Yeah, so if you want to go back and look at any of my old posts there, I've got lots of things on there. That's so great. Yeah, I will link to both of those. Your Insta- Well, actually all three, your Instagram, your TikTok and your blog on the show notes so people can go there and find you. Well, thank you so, so much. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.